Do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened word for word as described in the Bible? Or do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead happened, but that the story in the Bible contains some content which is not to be taken literally? Or do you believe that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead did not happen? Or don't know? Now, uh, those four questions were asked to a representative sample of 4,000 British adults earlier this year. And you may be surprised to learn, I was overwhelmingly surprised to learn that, do you know, more people believe in the resurrection than not. More people answered one and two combined than three. In other words, more people believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, either word for word as it happened in the Bible or with some embellishment, than believe it didn't happen. 45% of British adults believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. And only 41% believe he wasn't. I think that's extraordinary, don't you? Well, I don't know what um, your position is. I guess in a room uh, of this many people this morning, we've probably got those who would tick uh, all of those, uh, you know, any and or more than one of those boxes. I don't know. Well, wherever we are at with our belief in things like the resurrection this morning, everybody's welcome. I'm glad we're here. We're listening in this morning to this uh, dispute that took place between those who believed in the resurrection from the dead and those who didn't. It's a fascinating exchange. And uh, it's kind of, if you look down at it, you can see it's in three sections. There are three paragraphs there, two longer and then a shorter concluding paragraph. And I think as we listen, we're going to see three things, something from each of those paragraphs, three points for for, for this morning. First of all, that um, it's okay to be sceptical. Secondly, that Christianity is actually a supernatural religion. And thirdly, that if we will believe what Jesus says, we will find his teaching beautiful. So first of all, it's okay to be sceptical. There have always been sceptics. Scepticism is nothing new, and it's okay to ask questions. Secondly, that actually, when we really properly get to grips with Christianity, as it really is, as taught by Jesus Christ, we find that actually it's unapologetically, unavoidably a supernatural religion that he teaches. And thirdly, that if we will believe what he says about eternity... His teaching is beautiful. So first of all, it's okay to be sceptical. And I think, do you, know, do you agree with this? I think sometimes it can be, uh, we, when we come to the Bible and we read about what happened in the Bible, sometimes we sort of think that people in the olden days, in, in, in ancient times, were probably a bit gullible. You know, they were kind of pretty unsophisticated, pre-scientific, and prone to believe, you know, all sorts of fairy stories. Not so. Meet the Sadducees in verse 27. Verse 27 says, Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. So the Sadducees are a group, uh, they are a Jewish group, they believe in God, they were monotheists, but I suppose you might describe them as kind of the liberal, progressive, modernists of their day. They were a relatively uh, small group within Judaism, but they were influential because they were wealthy, they were educated, they were aristocratic, they were part of the establishment. But unlike the Pharisees, whom we've met a few times over the past few weeks, the Sadducees 
did not believe in the resurrection. That's why they're sad, you see, ho, 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 as people have pointed out. The Sadducees, they didn't only just believe, not believe in the resurrection, they also didn't believe in angels, demons, heaven, hell, the immortality of the soul, or the reality of the spiritual dimension. Uh, in fact, they actually didn't really accept the authority of the Bible. Um, they revered the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They liked those books. But the whole of the rest of the Old Testament, which is where most teaching on the resurrection is to be found in the Old Testament, including what Linda read to us from the book of Job, well, they took that with a rather large pinch of salt. So they were, they were sceptics. And Jesus had been going around preaching about the resurrection from the dead and the life of the world to come, and they weren't having any of it. They didn't believe it. So they come to Jesus, they attempt, what's going on in this exchange is an attempt to ridicule Jesus' teaching. So look at verse 28. They come, teacher, they said, Moses, who they like, wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children then the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, this was an ancient custom, not just in Jewish times, but across the Near East. And it was a, a, a custom that was designed to protect uh, and provide for the widow, who, being unmarried, would have been much more vulnerable in, in ancient society than um, a single woman would be today. So it was partly for her protection and preservation. It was partly for the protection and the preservation of the family line and the family's inheritance and property and honour. And so what the Sadducees do is they come to Jesus and they create this rather ridiculous kind of hypothetical scenario where this poor woman, I mean, it's almost humorous, isn't it? This story, she marries seven different brothers and they all die. I mean, it's kind of got a bit of a hint of farce about it. So they come to Jesus and they, you know, after this poor woman has been married seven times and then she dies as well in verse 32. Now then, verse 33, they say, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be? And the point of this question is they think they've cornered Jesus. They reckon they've got him snookered. Because, how, you know, what can Jesus say? Either, well, she'll just be mobbed by, you know, seven different husbands, which would be awful. Uh, or maybe she'll marry one of them, in which case, well, which one? And what about the other six? A bit unfair on them. Or she'll be married to none of them, in which case that doesn't seem particularly fair on her. So you can almost hear them smirking and chuckling as they think they've really skewered Jesus uh, in some ridiculous, impossible dilemma that shows, in their view, that to believe in the resurrection of the body is ludicrous. And what I think this shows is that people have always been sceptical. I think we're tempted to think that ancient people, well, they were gullible. But no, these guys didn't just believe anything. Not all Jews in Jesus' day believed in the resurrection. And not all Christians believe in the resurrection now, including famously some bishops. You may have come heard of the Bishop of Durham at one point in the 1980s, famously declared that the, the resurrection was no more than a conjuring trick with bones. A bishop. And people today are sceptics. People asking all sorts of questions. Can we really believe in things like the resurrection? Can we trust the Bible? What about the other religions? Hasn't science disproved God? Can rational, educated people believe in such things as miracles in the 21st century? Well, I think this is saying, look, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to bring questions to Jesus. 
And if you've got those kinds of questions, well, we, I keep mentioning we've got Alpha going in the new year. The Alpha course is the place to come and ask questions. And if you're a skeptic, January the 17th in the King's Arms pub, 10 weeks, Tuesday nights, come and ask your questions. It's okay to be skeptical. Skepticism is nothing new. But secondly, what this shows, this interaction shows us that when we do bring our questions to Jesus, we see that Christianity properly understood, as taught by Jesus, is unapologetically, unavoidably a supernatural religion. So what Jesus doesn't do is, he doesn't go, oh gosh, yeah, what a conundrum. You know, maybe you're right. You know, who knows what we'll find beyond the grave? Perhaps we have to remain agnostic about some of these points of our faith. No, he doesn't do that at all. He doubles down. He's convinced that the resurrection from the dead is going to take place. Uh, in uh, verse 28, he says, uh, um, sorry, in verse 34, he responds to them with, weirdly with breathtaking authority, that the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come, I mean, how does he know all this? Where does he get this information? Those who are taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. Why? They can no longer die. They are like the angels. Now, what he really is saying to the Sadducees is that their thinking is too limited. If they can't think of an earthly solution to this dilemma that they've proposed, who's this woman going to be married to? But Jesus says that in heaven, well, she won't be married at all. He basically does an end run around the entire problem by saying that the life of the age to come will not be like the life of this age. So one writer says this, he says that heavenly realities are no more predicated on earthly experiences than postpartum life is predicated on life in utero. In other words, a baby in the womb is completely unable to conceive of life after birth. When the baby is born, it's the same life, the same human being, but a life has been completely transformed in ways that are impossible to imagine. Well, in the same way, life here, we completely struggle to... We can't begin to comprehend life after death. It will be the same life, the same human life, but completely transformed. But just because we can't imagine how it's going to work doesn't mean that God isn't powerful. Jesus says... Our thinking is too limited, and we don't really know the Bible. Actually, if we knew, if we accepted the authority of Scripture, verse 37, he says, in the account of the burning bush, even Moses, so he quotes their preferred authority back to them, even Moses shows that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. In other words, he says that Moses, who wrote long after the time of Abraham, nevertheless wrote about Abraham in the present tense. He wrote in such a way that assumes that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob are alive. And Jesus assumed that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob were not alive, not dead, but were alive. Uh, at various different points in the Gospels, he talks about various of, the, uh, of God's people in the Old Testament as though they're alive. You know, at one point he describes heaven as being like a great banquet. He says, we'll all take our place at the feast alongside Abraham Isaac and Jacob, because they're not dead. So what this shows is that whatever way we try to approach Jesus, 
you cannot deny that what he's teaching is something completely out there. It's absolutely supernatural. You cannot rationalise him. I think it's hilarious that he, quote, he comes back to the Sadducees by saying, we'll be like the angels. Well, they didn't even believe in angels in the first place. Right, apparently, Francis Schaeffer, who was a very eminent Christian thinker and leader and philosopher of the last century, did a lot of work on university campuses leading Christian missions. And apparently he made it a point never to speak at a university without talking about angels, because he wanted everybody there to know that what he was talking about was something completely supernatural. Because many people try to strip Christianity of the miraculous. In fact, uh, I was in the library last week or the week before, just down at the new campus, and in the local history section there in the library, I found that there was a sort of a booklet about the history of this church uh, during the first half of the last century. And, you know, I almost spilled my coffee as I read about the sort of things that were believed and taught um, at St Michael's during the first half of the last century. I don't don't mean to be disrespectful to Professor uh, Brian Thomas, who wrote this booklet. I don't know who he is. Perhaps some of us here might know of Professor Brian Thomas, who was uh, a member of the congregation here during the Second World War. Uh, No disrespect to him or to my predecessor, who was (laughs) teaching him. But he basically says that in those days... The Christianity of this church was not a supernatural Christianity. It took all of it with a pinch of salt. In fact, let me read you what he says. He writes, Theologically, St. Michael's in those days would be described as liberal. Most of us knew, and if we didn't, we were soon taught, that the gospel's birth narratives, in other words, what we read every Christmas, Joseph and Mary, the virgin birth, most of us knew, and if we didn't, we were soon taught, that the gospel's birth narratives had no historical basis. But that didn't seem to bother anyone. Now, I think it ought to bother us. Because actually, the real Christianity, the Jesus Christ stripped of the virgin birth and the miracles and the resurrection of the dead, is not the real Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, when he became a Christian around that time, reacted against the liberal theology of his day. He said that the real distinction is not between high and low church, in other words, whether you like the piano or the organ, or whether you like your services happy, clappy, or stiff and traditional. None of that matters. The real distinction is not between high and low church, but between religion with a real supernaturalism and salvationism on one hand, and all watered down and modernist versions on the other. If we want the real Jesus, the real Jesus is the one who we've already said this morning was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, and on the third day, rose again from the dead. And in the end, whilst I'm sure that some people here were persuaded by Jesus' argument with the Sadducees about belief in the resurrection, the most compelling proof of belief in the resurrection of the dead was a few weeks hence, when Jesus Christ, on Easter Sunday, became the first to take part in the resurrection of the dead, when he walked out of his own tomb, alive. God is not the God of the dead, verse 38, but of the living, which sounds remarkably like what the angel said when they came to find his body and they said, he is not here. Why would you look for the living among the dead? So it's okay to be sceptical, firstly. Real supernatural is unavoidably, real Christianity is unavoidably supernatural, secondly. But thirdly, for those who believe it, Jesus' teaching here is beautiful. Verse 39. Some of the teachers of the law responded, 
well said, teacher. And what that means when they say well said, literally, it means not just that they, what they believe is uh, true, that they believe what Jesus is saying is correct, but that they believe it's lovely. It's admirable, it's excellent, it's praiseworthy, it's pleasing, it's beautiful. Now, not everybody necessarily agrees, I don't think. Some people, many people, have found what Jesus says in these verses about marriage in heaven really pretty difficult to get our heads around and upsetting, really, that we wouldn't be married in heaven. Some people have been troubled by that. I think, frankly, some people have found it quite a relief to imagine that we weren't married in heaven. Hannah and I were having a dispute about something uh, earlier this week, and I said, uh, do you know what this Sunday service is about? It's about the fact we won't be married in heaven. So, said, well, that's something to look forward to. Um, but, but many people have found this teaching, yeah, really pretty difficult. And we got our All Souls service this evening. We'll be reading out the list of the names of the departed. And many of the people on that list are the spouses of those who will be here in the congregation. Yeah. The idea that we won't be married in heaven, is that right? I mean, Prince Harry said after the Queen's funeral that it was lovely to think that Elizabeth and Philip are now reunited. Well, we say in the marriage service, till death us do part, but does it really part us? I mean, why does Jesus say that we won't be married in heaven? Well, it's important to remember why... God gave the gift of marriage in the first place. In the first book of Moses, it explains there's really two reasons that God gave the gift of marriage. First of all, it was, there was a need for companionship, and marriage is the highest form of human loving companionship that there is. And the second need was for procreation. And the mandate was to go forth and multiply, to fill the earth and be fruitful. But in the age to come... Neither of those two needs will be there. There will be no need for procreation. And the need for loving, intimate companionship will be perfectly fulfilled because we will dwell in the immediate loving embrace of God who is love, which is unimaginable, but it blows anything we've experienced so far out of the water. In reality, the Bible says that marriage is actually a picture that points forward to the relationship which Christ will have with the church in eternity. In fact, the book of Revelation describes heaven as being a marriage. The marriage between Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, and his bride, the church, as we're going to sing at the end of our service. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. What an amazing thing to look forward to. It's important not to go beyond what Jesus says here, I think. You know, Jesus doesn't actually say here that we won't know our spouses in heaven. He doesn't say that we won't spend time with them. It doesn't say that we won't love our spouses in heaven. It doesn't say that we won't remember our lives here on earth. He doesn't say that there'll be no marriage in heaven. He says that there will be one marriage in heaven, which those of us who are his will be a part of. And I believe that Hannah and I will both be part of the same marriage, forever united to the one spouse who will never disappoint us but will love us perfectly forever. So do you believe in the resurrection from the dead? If you do, then this teaching is not just well said, but beautiful. Shall we pray?